The winds of change are blowing, and it's easy to get lost and off track. Hi, I'm Renee Barabow, the practical shaman, Hay House author of Winds of Spirit, a wind whistler, and soul coat. This is a show for pioneers who want to learn to navigate the world with a chaotic spin awake. Welcome back to the Practical Shaman podcast. Today's special guest is Pat Hevron. She's a master listener of people's spoken and unspoken stories. She directs Living Center in Woodbridge, Connecticut, which provides healing, coaching, and education to individuals, couples, and businesses through private sessions, consultation, and intensives and introductory workshops. Pat is the author of Magic in Plain Sight, When Acceptance is the Healing, which was published by Aldebrand Press in September of 2017. And we're really excited to have you today. Did I get that Aldebrand Aldebaran, I believe it's pronounced. It's um, actually the name of a star, and it's the star that's associated with the Taurus constellation in the sky, and it's the sort of the bull's eye. Well, how appropriate is that for your book, Magic yeah. in Plain Sight? Uh, what, what drew you to that book? What, the format, the book? Tell us about Magic in Plain Sight. I, it's well written and a, a delicious um, work of healing and magic. So tell us a little bit about it, would you? And welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, Well, I'd love to say that I chose to write the book, but it was really quite the opposite. Um, The book chose to write me. I think I first started getting um, little hints and sniffs about that maybe as far back as 2003 when I was doing yoga teacher training at the time. And um, when our, our little cohort graduated, I was voted the most likely to write a book. So that was the first little seed that got planted. And I guess like most seeds, it took a while to grow. Um, But, you know, people just started giving me the feedback about, um, Oh, these stories, they really should be shared. You've got to be able to share your stories. So I started doing a lot of article writing for different online, um, you know, blogs and publications and the like. And uh, then it just, it kind of took me over and I had to do it. It was just something that I felt called me, grabbed me and haunted me until I finally submitted. (laughs) And we were talking about that um not on on record, but off record about this birthing cycle of things. And I know in writing Winds of Spirit, there was that magical moment when I wasn't writing the book for you anymore. The book was writing, it was an interplay between the writing and the winds and the interaction of all of those things. And it sounds like that you had a similar experience with, you know, seeds that are planted. Sometimes these seeds, you know, take root right away. And sometimes uh, seeds take Uh, a slow growing tree or a slow growing plant. And, you know, and sometimes places where you plant those seeds, I looked into a pot today and my cactus had like shriveled up and disappeared. I mean, (laughs) kind of indicative of life. So tell us about this for you, how that process of this birthing cycle came to be in this book. Well, it it started first with, I I didn't really have an overarching theme. Um, And and that really persisted right till the the end of the writing, as a matter of fact. So I just started to tell stories. 
And I trusted that at some point the, the arc of, of the narrative would come together from beginning to end. And um, actually, so there's, the book itself has 25 different stories that are, um, are uh, sectioned into you know, three kind of main headings. And uh, at the very end of the actual drafting of the individual stories, I was out in Arizona visiting a dear friend and I brought, you know, my hard copy of the manuscript with me. And I said, I have no idea what to do next. I just had no clue of, of how I was going to organize them. You know, what was the beginning? What was the middle? What was the end? They, they were each, you know, in, uh, unto themselves separate. And yet I knew that they could be organized in some way, but it just wasn't there. And I, I can't even remember the question that my friend asked me. Um, Oh, I know. I had uh, one of the, the uh, introductions to the book is a uh, kind of a, a small bit of prose or poetry by um, a, a Buddhist teacher named Joan Sutherland. And uh, she read that to me out, you know, out loud. And, she's, and it had something to do with, you know, what if it's right in front of you? Of course, right? That's the title of the book. And so I looked down and, and I just, I took the, there were three sentences in that poem, which kind of gave me the, the, the formatting for the book itself, you know, the difficult and complicated things, um, the, you know, the, the softer things. And, and so I just began to sort the stories that way. And that's how the, you know, the arc of the, of the entire book came to be. So it very much was a creative process that I couldn't control, that I didn't even have a direct vision about. And it wasn't like achieving a particular goal or structuring a particular format. It was really, uh, which is really the heart of all I do with, with folks, is a deep level of listening for what wanted to emerge. So that was, that was how the, the, you know, the, the book itself became birth. But, you know, on that theme of birth, one of my, my jokes afterwards, because when I was completing the process and it finally launched back um, on September, in September on, on the first day of fall of autumn, I thought, yeah, you know, here it is, this great birth. And, you know, who, who threw me a shower? Where are the gifts? Who's going to bring dinner tonight? <laughs> I just had to flop. And it was so the opposite of what I imagined, you know, the rigor and the celebration of having this, you know, birthing this baby would be. And instead it was, I went to the exact opposite response, which was kind of funny, but there were, there were definitely nobody, nobody around me realized I had had that kind of baby. And having had three of those kinds of babies, I was surprised when nobody was bringing food to the front door. <laughs> and I can understand that too, because you put so much energy into, you know, this birthing process. And really, at least for me, it became this thing where the other day I said to a friend, oh yeah, I've started writing book two. And her comment was, oh no, do we have to listen to you again for four more years? And <laughs> so... My so sister now, the same thing. So now, now only like, you know, nobody close to you really wants to hear about it. <laughs> and yet you're fully engaged in this process of uh, the, the writing and the birthing. I mean, I was just on the phone with a coaching client who said, do you think it would help me if I read your book? And I thought, well, I, I don't know what responded was like, 
like, well, do you have my book? Oh, no. So she got on Amazon right then and ordered it. So there's this whole process of that you're giving birth to someone. And then what happens is nobody else, like you're saying, that not only aren't they bringing dinner, but they're not even necessarily, you know, anting up to buy the book. So I think for authors, there's like this big surprise because I think that, you know, this is magic in plain sight. Why can't you see it? You know, type of thing. So I yeah. love the title magic in plain sight. What does that mean for you? Well, I think it's really a hallmark of, of um, the process that has uh, revealed itself to me in listening. Uh, so it, it, it kind of takes me back to the little bit of little distinction in uh, the definition I use when I think of healing, because I don't necessarily think of healing as transformation and change or the aim of transformation and change. Although we all know that uh, things do change when we quote unquote heal, but that it's more of, um, for me, healing is about a restoration to something that's already there and that's already been given uh, by life and a reconnection to what's been given by life, you know, whether we're talking about um, life events, be they uh, glorious or traumatic uh, challenges, whatever is there. And so when I think of healing, I think of returning back to engage and encounter what already has been in a new way. And then the result of that is a change and is a transformation. But for me, healing isn't about an aim for that change. In fact, I think, um, you know, in, in my, in my own, um, practices, uh, in, in the beginnings of my own practices, that really was the path that I followed. And it had a lot of value at the time. But, you know, those kinds of transformations for, for me never really uh, sustained themselves. And there was always this pull back to what was already, already there or what I didn't feel like I could get rid of. And then when I opened to the fact that maybe I couldn't get rid of it because it had some incredible innate value that I'd been missing, that's when my you know, practice as a healer slash coach educator shifted. And it's when my own, you know, in my own personal life, those are the times in which the, the, the roots of true transformation occurred. And it wasn't about something new. It was about something that was always there, right in plain sight. And, you know, I've understood in, in my, in my um, conversations with, um, with folks coming from an indigenous perspective, too, that, that many of the mystery teachings were hidden in places where nobody would look for them, and mostly right in front of us, because we so, um, I think we all uh, can skip over the beauty of, of life staring us right in the face. So that's what that magic in plain sight is really about for me. It's, it's, it's being able to encounter the ordinary and the overlooked in, an, in a fresh perspective and in a way that really allows us to hook into the real heartbeat of life. I want to go back to that because you kind of lost me here for a minute on this, um, this that healing is a restoration to something that is already there for for example, we have talk about, um, you know, a current topic is a lot of people are talking about children and 
So, you know, children who have been abused or something like that, and, and that for me as a shamanic coach over the years, it, there's always seems to be some roots back to, you know, our sacrifices as children. Um, but so what do you mean that if, if I was broken down as a child and had a really, um, you know, maybe I was re raised by addicts or something like that, uh, well, how am I going to restore back to what are you telling me I should be restoring back to that I'm I should be embracing the fact that I had that experience or that I, I'd like to know a little bit more about what you what you mean by that yeah there's there's not a real straight line of response to this um, it's it's more in the feeling and the senses that are there so so brokenness um, so when one is feeling broken, it isn't so much the situation, the topic, the actual occurrence, the one, the one <clears throat> point of trauma. It, it's more, let's say, you know, as I was listening to you and in, in you're framing the question, it's that sense of, of brokenness that's sort of what resonated for me. And so then, you know, if, if you and I were sitting across from each other and talking about um, history in our lives and a sense of if indeed someone feels as though their life has been broken, then that would be the place where I would begin to go toward the broken and to support in a safe and present way where that, you know, everything breaks down like your little cactus in your pot. It, you know, it, it, it somehow broke down, disappeared, returned back to the soil um, for some new beginning and maybe as fertilization for the other flowers in that pot. But, but I guess that's where I would go. So it is in, to find, to restore according to that agricultural kind of cycle. So that's where I would go with somebody is to, if their experience has been in breaking down to use the energy of the breakdown to, to escort them through that cycle so that something new can grow from it. So um, it isn't about, you know, slapping a happy smile on um, a painful or traumatic memory. I mean, that would, um, that, that would be at best really hard to do and and feel a lot like denial in a lot of ways but to really just work with what is there and to allow that to lead us and to repurpose those things to resource them because when something returns back to to its beginning when we when we take it home again and look at it from a new perspective or return it to the source of everything something new can emerge a new perspective can can come from that does that is that helpful is that yeah, no, I think you know for listeners who might not quite get this this understanding of your um, interpretation of healing I mean I, I, I certainly have a, a little more experience than some in this area but I wanted to make sure that that was a clarity because uh, I, I've watched and I've talked to you over the years so I know that you know you don't come from things that are the traditional um, point of view if there is such a thing uh, but that you have a, a unique way that you hold things and and it's almost like if I was to say what is your archetype in this it's like hmm you know you're you know 
It's like somebody who would throw the, you know, a stick into the spoke to make people stop and take a look at, you know, hmm, what did, what just happened here? Is that a fair assessment? Uh, sometimes that is of people's response to me for sure. Um, and, and uh, you know, for somebody who has been, I, I kind of come from um, my own framework is, is definitely from the, you know, don't worry, be happy kind of, of movement. And I, you know, for a long time, I think that idea of connection and how do we connect with something and how do we find, how do we feel better? How do we, all those things are, are um, it's a wonderful impulse to have. And, and what I have found in the years of the pursuit of feeling better is that I can feel better and yet it more deeply the thing that I'm trying to feel better from will find another way to meet me in my life under a different disguise so that there is super there's a lot of value in in feeling better and feeling a distance from something that has caused pain or suffering or hardship um, and so I don't I don't see myself as you know throwing the stick into the to the wheel to make it stop in that kind of way. But, but I have found that uh, that additional approach and perspective of stopping. And as, as a, as a, one of my, uh, I wouldn't, wouldn't call him a mentor, but a, a, a person whose work I admire at once asked me is when I was talking about the, you know, the value of, of the work that I, that I feel I do and my desire to bring it out into the world he asked me this question and it was probably one of the most profound things that anyone's ever asked me. He said, have you ever considered that that might be a poison? The work that you think is so wonderful might be a poison. And talk about being stopped in your tracks. And, uh, and all I could feel was being held in absolute love. This was not a critique. This was, uh, I think all of us, you know, all of us, uh, suffers a big a strong word but all of us can encounter those things those places of attachment that we have and things that we cling to that are going really well and that they're tried and true and they too can become lifeless over time and they can eclipse our vision to um to be able to see the the shadow side of it as well so i think it's important to roll with that wheel and to throw the stick in both um, and to be able to access both perspectives in what we call healing. I think really healing is restoring both perspectives, finding the, the value and the beauty in the challenging and, and to uh, perhaps be stopped in our tracks from the things that we think are so wonderful. You, you can get blinded by the light too. And there's, a, um, there's a process that's pretty popular in psychology right now called a DBT and it talks about that you can hold both, that you yes. can both hold, hold the feeling of happiness and feel, you know, the, the feeling of sadness too. Like, so say a relationship ends and there's a sadness to it. And, but there's also maybe a, a door opening, a, a, a joyful moment in here that yes, the sadness lives here and the happiness lives here. And, and I think that that's uh, what, what I see a lot of in your um, telling of the stories in your magic of plain sight, it, but it's from a, more of a shamanic, uh, your perspective. 
What's your, is there a favorite story you have in the book? Uh, one of your the ones that that really holds a lot of juice for you? Oh gosh, that's that's tough. There are, um, you know, I it's this, the the book is a compilation of a mix of some of my own process, um, and then also as uh, working either in groups or with individuals in terms of. Um, leading a particular process of, of healing. Wow. That's a really, I, I've got a lot of attachments to a lot of them. I, I think, um, I think, I think the one, uh, in the desert, um, with, uh, my dear friend, uh, who I don't think I name in the book, and so whose name I will skip over right now, but who is um, a Cherokee priest. I don't know if you read that one. It's called Lie on Her. And uh, he's a veteran, a Vietnam uh, War veteran, who uh, is returning back to his own roots as someone who is a wisdom keeper for his people. And uh, we were at a retreat with about 30 folks in the blazing heat, in Arizona, and um, he's he's a lovely, uh, bombastic, uh, <laughs> big-hearted, big-egoed gentleman. He would he would uh, laugh and agree with me on all of those points. Uh, and uh, he was, you know, he he returns a lot to the story of him being a, or he had been returning a lot to the story of him feeling victimized by the U.S. government and the military, because he, uh, he his claim was that many people, um, many indigenous uh, brothers of his, and and this was his experience as well, were given the, the toughest assignments, the most heinous um, assignments in Vietnam. Uh, because, you know, according to him, the, the U.S. military was tapping into that, that shadow anger that um, a lot of Native Americans were feeling, um, having been displaced from their own land. And uh, he was recounting that story again, and one I had heard many, many times in the company of a lot of people, and it was very much the, a story of where he was a victim. And... Um, I began to listen and it just out of nowhere, I, I, he, was, he was talking about um, the pride that he had in returning from Vietnam with his platoon intact and that not one of them had died. And in my listening, and I, I, was, I was kind of in a pretty altered place at the time that I was listening, the perspective, I was just really overcome and I was very present. And I just, what came out of my mouth was, you're, you're a liar, you know, you're lying. And I softly whispered it to him as he was telling his story, which is, you know, talk about putting a spoke in a wheel um, in a church <laughs> tradition. You're allowed to talk for as long as you have that talking stick and, and nobody interrupts. And um, I couldn't stop myself. And I just kept on saying, liar, liar, you're a liar. And what I was hearing was that he, he had not come back full of life. He, he was the walking dead and that, that he could not leave behind what was left in Vietnam. And so I, as I approached him and I was very soft and just quietly repeating that over and over and he became enraged. And it was, um, it was quite a moment um, in that circle. 
And over the, the course of a few minutes, um, I stopped after he became enraged and I waited and then I began again. And then liar turned to lie on her, lie on her. And he began to absolutely lose it. Um, and the other people in the circle came behind me and joined in and said, lie on her. And he collapsed to the ground and collapsed back to the mother earth and, and was able to fall, you know, to be the soldier that could fall. And in doing that, to allow that story of victimization to collapse. And because it was a story that he held himself um, accountable for atrocities and at the same time was a victim himself. And it allowed him to, to allow it to rest in peace over time. Uh, it was a very profound moment. Um, and he didn't speak to me for a year afterwards, which broke my heart. And then I went out and saw him, uh, I think a little after that year had passed, he reached out on my birthday and said, you know, how do you thank somebody who taught you how to love? Nice. Yeah. And it was, um, and then I went back and, and, and made a presentation of a wounded heart to him, a, a beautiful sculpture of a wounded heart um, in front of his, um, his town community. And, uh, and it was a moment of, you know, just utter beauty in my mind. So yeah, it was, um, that's, that's kind of a, one of the stories of, of, of throwing that stick into the, into the wheel. See, so I wasn't so far off in my symbology, was I? No, no, you weren't. Um, but not, you know, that, that's not always called for. That's not, um, I think often I'm the voice for that. Um, be, and I think it's partially because I, I feel that we lean a lot in the healing world. And this is just an opinion. And I'm not um, saying that that lean is right or wrong or good or bad. But we lean a lot toward the idea of let's leave this behind and get on to something better here. And there is certainly merit in that. And I hate to, I'm often misunderstood that, that I'm not, um, I'm not uh, diminishing the value of that. Uh, but often it does come back uh, in some way to haunt us in, in different clothing. And um, so there's sometimes getting shook up and having things stop like that can, uh, can be the deepest. For me, it's been my deepest uh, experience of healing. And so I do a little bit of both. I think I'm, right now I'm, I'm really much more in the place of uh, understanding the value of all of it and being able to listen to um, and be led by my client because this is somebody that I could do that with. He's a very strong man and we could go toe to toe together. So there was um, a container of trustworthiness uh, in that. So um, I think we have to, if we're really listening, our clients and our uh, students and our friends and our family and everybody else, they're, they're giving us the clues of how to connect with them. And, uh, and following that's always for me the best idea. Absolutely. My aren't so great. <laughs> so so listeners, both Pat and I came out with a book in uh, about the same time. Hers is Magic in Plain Sight, and you can get that on Amazon, uh, Amazon right? Is that the yeah. best place to get it? Mm -hmm. And my book is Winds of Spirit. So for our final question, and since we you know, have this um, similar projection about when our book was out into the world, I mean, 
who knows when the books really are out in the world energetically. They may not be out in the world yet. <laughs> we might just be, you know, amusing ourselves with them. You know, this idea we have books out in the world. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. You know, because you, you come from this intimate place of this where like I can only imagine as a I've never given birth but that you're cradling and and uh, bringing into life and into form and then all of a sudden you know you have this this baby and uh, nobody it, like in real birth it doesn't come with a set of instructions when I found myself most frustrated with winds of spirit thinking like you know I'd sold a couple thousand or something and I thought you know I was going to be a New York Times best-selling author right away and that I had arrived so you know the, the disappointment was I mean I fell from the uh you know the the Empire State Building with my expectations and disappointments but that that the winds just kept telling me hey we picked you because you're good for working and we you've had all of these experiences in your life that have shown you how far ahead of your time you've been. You know, we thought you'd be way more patient, um, even though I was never patient with a restaurant that was 10 years or anything. So what was the biggest teaching for you about uh, the book birthing process as you then held this infant in your hand that you probably didn't know what to do with next, if you're anything like me? Yeah, super great question. Um, well, I think I was a little bit prepared in in the angst I had before I really started writing. And I had um, uh, a, a client student of mine come up to me and he was like, what are you, you know, he said, so what if nobody reads it? He said, if only one, if you write this book for one person, write it, just give it away. And I was like, oh my God, you're so right. So that early on, I, I don't think I read, I had a lot of expectations from the process. I became consumed by it and I consumed it back. But, you know, sort of true to form with this, um, this, this baby metaphor, again, I felt like I gave birth and then all of a sudden, this is off to college. <laughs> you know, uh, all of a sudden this book leaves your, your, your computer and it's got its own form and it's out the door. And, and I think that the, the, the sheer speed of that and that I had absolutely no, I, no control, really. I could do a lot of things as I'm sure you have, you know, you can make lots of great plans and get onto social media and put the word out and spread the word in, in lots of really wonderful marketing and promotion, you know, promotional ways. But when it comes down to it, it's gonna, it's gonna, the people who need to see it will see it. And oddly enough, the stories of people, you know, I've gotten a couple of those those little emails from people that say, hey, you know what, my, it's one, one woman said, my accountant gave this to me it, it, as a gift when I, when I did my taxes this year. Somebody from New York, I have no idea who they were. I have no idea who their accountant was, but it was an, a really interesting, like we, we don't ever know. And this is a baby that doesn't come home in that way. You're never gonna know, Renee, and I won't either. Who's gonna read that book and never reach out and and never call you for you know uh, a coaching session or or attend one of my programs or be be a client it, there it will find its way and it has a purpose in the unknown that we can't see and 
And that is a place I spend a lot of time cultivating a relationship with the unknown. So I didn't, I didn't flip with that. I, 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 I think it was more, um, it was more the, the letting go, just the letting go and knowing that this child may never return. And, and I'm never going to get to see the benefit and to let that be all right. That was the point for me. And in that comment, and as we, we wrap up here, her healing is restored. Yes. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Pat, for joining us on the Practical Shaman podcast, which is, as everyone knows, cat approved. And so whenever I'm podcasting, Sami is within oh, five feet or wailing at the door to get either get in or get out. But, you know, that's how it goes. And thank you for asking me. I really, really, truly appreciate it. Great. And everyone, make sure you pick up a copy of both of our books and because they're very different. And one is about the wind and one is about magic. And maybe they'll take you on a magic carpet ride. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Always look for both, bringing both together. Right. Again, I really, really, truly appreciate the, the opportunity to to be here and to speak with your folks. Great. And listeners, we'll see you again next week. Take care. Make sure to subscribe.